Welcome to How Not to DM. I'm your guest host, Rachel. Thanks for joining me on my quest to interview the hottest DM on this plane of existence. Seeds of Decay is a 5th edition adventure, player's guide, and bestiary from acclaimed fantasy artist and game designer Daryl T. Jones. Save the forest with dozens of new hero options, a new foraging and crafting system, and wondrous contraptions. There's even rules for playing with tiny characters. Seeds of Decay is a must-have supplement for your current campaign, or can be used as a standalone setting. Coming to Kickstarter January 11th, 2022. Sign up to be notified at seedsofdecay.com. Now, let's return to our show. This show's guest is Derek. He is the host of the How Not to DM podcast. By day, he's a mild-mannered, bearded business intelligence engineer and devoted husband and father. By night, he runs this podcast and DMs for our group of family and friends. He's been running games for a few years. He's especially skilled in character development and can perform nearly any accent at the drop of a hat. Enjoy. Hello, everybody. I'm Derek. I just turned 30 years old this year. That was very strange. I have a wonderful wife. I have a wonderful child. And I'm a huge nerd. <laughs> uh, yeah, got into D&D. Rachel and I were just chatting about this this week. I think it was the tail end of 2018 coming into 2019, mm-hmm. as I recall. And I got invited by some of my work friends to just join up on a game. They were doing a Curse of Strahd game. I think I showed up for three sessions before the game dissolved. Not really anyone's fault. It's just kind of how it is. So, but I got the bug, you know, I I got the bug and I wanted to participate and I wanted to keep playing. So we started playing at work. Uh, My brother started running Lost Mine of Fandelver for a group of us at work. We would play at lunch, not every day, but, you know, two, three times a week for an hour. And that's how we got our fix in. So we had a, a group of, you know, like eight of us at work or something. That's a lot to bite off and chew as a new DM, so props to my brother for trying that out. But as we were getting to the tail end of that campaign, I started writing my own stuff in a Google Doc. I said, oh, this this DMing thing can't be that hard. So I started writing my own little kind of like two, three shot adventure. I figured I'd start small. And after we finished The Lost Mine, I said, all right, I'll take over and said, all right, now you all go to this city to the south, and there's this cult, you know, and there's all this stuff happening. And so the first encounter they had was with this crazy dwarf who was supposed to be the leader of the cult. And I had in my notes, like, yeah, they'll for sure take this guy back to town and put him in prison. And (laughs) my brother proceeded to find the nearest farmer with a cart and give him a couple gold pieces to just take this dwarf as far away from the town as possible to, you know, prevent him from causing any more trouble and so those were my my first dm plans right out the window first session and uh yeah valuable lesson learned there but that's really how it started been running games ever since i really love the storytelling aspect of stuff 
I've talked to a few other podcasts about this when I've been on their shows, but I hated writing as a kid. And then my mom started making me write short little one page stories during the summer to improve my writing. And ever since then, I've really loved it. So shout out to my mother. I don't think she listens to the show, but I'll tell her that when I see her next anyway. (laughs) So the reason I ask this is if you were to ask me when we were dating, Uh (laughs) Rachel, would you marry someone who's super into Dungeons and Dragons? My initial answer would have been no. Right. You uh, you had some run-ins with nerdy exes, right? Or not, I guess he wasn't even an ex. Anyway, you can tell that story. So back in college, there was a guy who took me out on a date. And I was super into him. I thought he was pretty cute. He was really gregarious and just had, you know, a great personality. And then he told me he was super into some really nerdy stuff. And I'm sad to say now that it was a turnoff. I feel like now that I've grown as a person, I realize that we can have lots of different hobbies and they don't change who we are at our core. But uh, so, yeah, the reason I'm asking you this is that uh, I think there's a lot of people out there who are getting into different TTRPGs Mm -hmm. and their partners are sitting there going, "Uh, this is new. This is weird. (laughs) This is different different this is kind of expensive depending on how you approach it true true uh so what are some low pressure ways to invite or prepare your partner to play D? because i feel like now that i've been playing for nearly two years i realize it's not as nerdy as i previously thought it was it's not as inaccessible it's not as dorky i guess Do you remember how you invited me to play and what my reaction was? And maybe do you have tips for other people who want to invite their partners to play, but they don't know how to do it? Yeah, so as I recall, this was right after I had finished that Doomed. I mean, it wasn't Doomed. It worked out fine. My first little three shot that I ran for my coworkers, immediately I was like, well, I guess I need to start running games for my friends and family. So... I I think I did like an Instagram story or something and, and started texting people. And I found a few people who were interested, one of my old college roommates, my brother, again, who I'd been playing with, my other brother. And, you know, so we, we had a, a group going. And basically, I think I just like point blank asked you, hey, look, I've got people who want to play. And this was before we we had a kid or anything, right? So it's not like there was other stuff that you could say you had to do during that time. So it was just kind of like, hey, do you do you want to play? And I remember, not you weren't hesitant, but I think you were just you you hadn't seen it, right? You didn't know what it was, and so you were just kind of like a tentative, sure, I'll try it and see what happens. Mm-hmm. But I think that's kind of how I framed it. My my roommate's wife was also going to play. And so it was just kind of like, well, if she's coming, then you should you should play too. And that mm. way, you know, you and her both have someone to laugh with if it goes terribly wrong. <laughs> okay, I'm remembering that now. So, so my advice, I guess, for people who are trying to invite their partners to join in, 
the way I did it wasn't a bad way, I don't think. And I think because I was really excited about it and you could tell you probably were like, yeah, I'll go along with it and just see what happens. I have to admit that there's not a lot of things that you drag me into where I'm like, I don't know how this is going to go. So maybe it's just a one-sided thing. But I, yeah, I think playing one-on-one could be really fun, a really fun way to introduce them. You just tell them, look, I had this idea. Basically, everyone's going to like some kind of fantasy or heroic stories, right? Someone's going to like superheroes or they're going to like fantasy or they're going to like some some kind of story where there's a hero's journey, where there's a protagonist who they can emulate in some way. I think it'd be really fun to just set up a really short one-shot. You build them a character that is very similar to their favorite character, whether it be from you know, like Harry Potter or Lord of the Rings or a Marvel character, something like that, and then give them a couple of obstacles to overcome as that character, show them how fun it can be to improvise and to roleplay a little bit, and then they know whether or not they're interested in it. Then it's low stakes, you're not trying to invite them to a game that's been going for a while or invite them to a new game, and then if they decide it's not for them, then the party dynamics are kind of shifted or altered or something like that. So that's kind of how I would go about it, I think, is is a, a low-stakes one-shot in, in a world they are familiar with, and then go from there. I think I would have really enjoyed that. And I would say, too, as a previously skeptical partner, as you're playing, make sure to be very attentive and very responsive. Something that's really difficult for me is um, showing up feeling like I don't know what I'm doing and mm. like I don't belong, mm-hmm. right? And I feel like that's something that you were really good at in the beginning since I was or still am playing a wizard. There's a lot of complexity to spell casting. And I feel like you were really responsive and you still are when I have questions and I don't understand how things are going because I don't really research D&D in my spare time, right? <laughs> yeah, who would do that? <laughs> and so having you there as a resource and a support just allows me to have fun. Mm. I'm glad. that's That warms my heart. Can you share with us what some of the worst mistakes are that you've made as a DM mm. and what lessons did you learn from these mistakes? Yeah, my my little story there about my first game, that was a mistake, but that's kind of like the mistake that every single DM makes is you go in and you expect your party is going to do exactly what you think they're going to do and then they don't. So... I learned that lesson quickly, but that was a mistake. As far as the worst mistakes I've made, that's a tough one. So many to choose from. <laughs> I, I think oftentimes as DMs, we're a lot harder on ourselves than our party is on us, right? Mm-hmm. Especially our group, friends and family, pretty low stakes. You're all there to have fun. It's not like you're showing up every week expecting top-of-the-line story and voice acting in you know, improvisation and everything. It's really just about hanging out with friends and and rolling a few dice on the way. Mm -hmm. And that style of play is not meant for everybody, but I think that I do a good job of facilitating that sort of game. One thing that I've done recently, or that I've noticed recently, is designing encounters and combats and stuff that don't necessarily have elements that all of you can interact with equally. Mm. What I mean by that is... This is some advice I've seen circulating recently 
and I really love it, and I'm going to try to use it as much as possible, but that is each encounter you should have stuff for all of the different players to do. Mm-hmm. With a party of five, it can be a little tricky, but I try to put certain things within combat or whatever that, that gives each of you a chance to shine, you know, people that are far away for your ranged characters, stuff to hide behind for rogues, big bad things for the barbarian to go smash, you know, try to try to give everybody a little something to interact with and, and parts to shine. But it, it can be tricky, and so that's one thing that I feel like I've been doing poorly and that I could improve. Uh, another thing, I don't take very good notes. Mm. And as a DM that flies by the seat of his pants a lot of the time, if I don't take notes about the stuff I told you last session... And then I start saying something the next session, and it's it's contradictory to what I said the last session. One of you always remembers and corrects me, and it's really on me for not having taken good enough notes. So that's another thing that I think is one of my big mistakes, is not taking good notes and tracking the things that I tell you, because that would be a lot easier for me and you the last one you're going to dislike, but it is what it is. I think I have given you all too many magical items and abilities. <laughs> and that's just part of it being kind of my first long game I've really run. And also that it's fun to homebrew cool abilities and items and stuff. And I'd want to reward you for, you know, engaging with the story and the world I'm creating. But I think that... If I were to do it again, I would be a bit more stingy with those things. Just because, number one, I think they'll mean more that way. And number two, I don't have to keep throwing monsters at you that are far above the challenge rating, quote-unquote, that you should be meeting for for me to properly challenge you every, every session. So, yeah, th- those are some of my small regrets. Uh, another thing that I think that I didn't do well from the very beginning is... Um, making sure that all of you had really good ideas about backstory and where you wanted your character to, to develop. Mm. But I think that's partly because we used the pre-generated characters from The Lost Mind of Fandelver. Each of you picked a character, and the character sheets that they generate for those kind of pre-written modules all have backstories, but they are contained to that module specifically. So all of your backstories had something to do with just that area, little things here and there, and then once we were done with that, I began to homebrew, but we didn't talk about, okay, now what are you going to do? Now what are you trying to accomplish? And I just kind of threw you out into the ocean. And that was still fun, and you guys loved that part of it. Mm -hmm. But also, it wasn't super heavy on, like, your character's development. And I think I've really turned a corner on that within the last few months. So, yeah. That's interesting. And that was an interesting point too about the magical items because I feel like if there's anything our party fights over, it's magical items. And (laughs) I'm not just talking like clever table teasing banter. Like there have been a few moments where it does feel uh, a bit contentious because (laughs) one person gets a magical item and another doesn't. So that's an interesting thing to recognize that maybe these items are making things more difficult for everybody. Maybe, yeah. I think if I, when I run another game, I'm going to, from the get-go, establish that each of you are going to get a number of items. 
and maybe one specific item that's meant for your character that'll be obvious, then those expectations are set from the get-go. So on the topic of our party, Mm. I want to know the funniest way or your favorite way or the most substantial way that our group has ever wrecked one of your plans. (laughs) Yeah, there are quite a few. And... (laughs) I plan less and less, like I said, as the the months go on. Less and less plans because I don't want to pretend like I know where you're going and what you all are thinking, and I just want to react real time. Seems to be better that way. I'm reminded of a specific one-shot we played for Halloween, probably 2019, where I had you all, it was non-canon to the world, but go hunt down a basilisk. Oh, yeah. Oh, <laughs> I know where this is going. <laughs> and we, I, I planned a bunch of different encounters, including a hedge maze that was the kind of the last thing you had to traverse before you got to the giant ruined keep on the cliffside where the basilisk had, you know, set up shop down in the basement. So I'm thinking, oh, yeah, this is going to take them a while and I'm going to have a bunch of wargs inside here that they've got to fight. And you promptly cast Levitate and just skip across the whole thing (laughs) (laughs) as that wizard. And uh, I just remember, all right, yeah, you know, the the fair dues, you got Levitate. I didn't even think about that. And, of course, you have bypassed this last encounter. Everyone else had to go through, but you kind of guided them the correct way. You know, they didn't take any wrong turns, didn't have to fight anything they didn't expect. And so that was... Honestly, it's a testament to player ingenuity and and just throwing problems at them and and letting them decide how to solve it instead of having a solution in your own mind. That's another thing I think I've learned is that I don't pretend to know what you're going to do. I just throw problems at you and then see what you figure out, you know, And, and that seems to work a lot better too. For sure. I will say that over the years, I've noticed that your games have become a lot more flexible. I I used to be able to tell when we ruined your plans or wrecked your plans, but I can't tell anymore. And it sounds like that's because you don't really have plans. I have plans, but I don't plan on solutions, right? I I think of conflict and then I let you figure out how it's going to shake out. I think that's great. So tell me, what is your favorite memory of improvisation from your games? And what are some lessons that other DMs could take away from this favorite memory? (laughs) Okay, I've got one for this too. So you all as a party encountered the Minister of Law within the ruined city of Neverwinter, who was a little gnome artificer, had a bunch of constructs he built, had a stash of these magic crystals from a giant meteor that had destroyed half the city. Mm Mm-hmm. And my game is heavily influenced by the Dungeon Dudes, by the way. I can't take credit for that uh, storyline, but you should check their show out if you have a chance. Anyway, because he's the Minister of Law, even though he was insane, I wanted to use this sort of law theme as part of a fun way to improv. And so basically, I, I didn't have this planned at all, but... I decided at spur of the moment as you were trying to convince him to leave this ruined part of the city and go back to safety that he would go into judge mode and mm-hmm. you would have to present a case. And so I like had him sit down this book like it was his 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 little desk in front of him and he banged on it and he started like referring to each of you as lawyers and mm-hmm. you know counsel and 
expecting you to follow the protocols of court of court of law and then the other members of the party he started treating as the jury and so it was like this 10 minute improvised court session where you argued in front of him as the judge and convinced him by way of the jury having a unanimous vote that he should join you and and leave the dangerous part of the city so he was crazy and it was easy to convince him but it was just kind of spur of the moment, and he had a really goofy voice, and it was just fun to like force everyone to pretend to be lawyers for a little bit, and I yes. that that was totally unplanned, but also I uh, I feel like that's one of the moments where I've laughed the hardest while DMing. We I remember that we all took it so seriously during the improv, and then as soon as that moment of improv closed we were laughing so hard like nearly to tears (laughs) and the thing too that i think is fun about that is great improv is fun for the dm for sure it's also fun for the players Mm -hmm. right and that's just what i think back to that was leaving that moment going wow i spend one night a week with such good friends such cool people doing really funny things right right in, in what universe do you pretend to to have a court session to convince a crazy gnome to leave their city yeah it's it was insane but awesome so while we're on that topic i'm going to spring a question on you i'm ready what is the coolest thing i've ever done while playing D? <sighs> i mean that's probably recently Recently, you were, as a party, pursuing an armada of 12 ships under Mm. the big bad evil guy's control that were headed west to a different continent with a load of these magic crystals that he's Mm -hmm. intending to use in some ritual. And so you pursued them in a lone ship with your good friend, Ramsey Redcap, the pirate captain, and you all hatch a plan to attack 12 ships with just this one ship which hinges upon your spell, which is control water. Control water, yeah. And so I'm gearing up for maybe two or three of these ships to peel off from the armada, circle back, and attack you, and for it to be a pretty tough fight to mm-hmm. to deal with two or three different ships attacking your one ship at one time. But instead, you... <laughs> Get close enough to create a giant whirlpool and suck down twelve of or eleven of these twelve ships into the whirlpool and just totally destroy them <laughs> without having to engage at all. One ship escapes, two of them circle back and try to attack, but the rest of them are just at the bottom of the sea, totally destroyed, basically matchsticks because of this one spell. Everyone else helped a little bit, but I feel like that spell really just Again, I <laughs> I did not plan for how you might solve this problem. I just knew how I might react as you were trying to attack them. But instead, it goes a totally different direction. You sink my battleship. Uh, <laughs> Eleven of your <laughs> battleships, of actually. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> so another great example of ingenuity and also how you are all very powerful and I am not prepared for it. <laughs> I should also add that we did a lot of math that evening. And a lot of math. A lot of math. And it really attests to the importance of the Pythagorean theorem, actually. <laughs> 
I'm kidding, but we did use the Pythagorean theorem that night to figure out just how many ships we could suck into our giant whirlpool. Yeah, we, we had to figure out if if the whirlpool was 100 feet by 100 feet, what was the actual... Anyway, those <laughs> yeah, good times. Stay in school. If you want to be good at D&D. <laughs> Okay, next question here. I don't know how relevant this will be to many of your players, but we experienced a big life change since you started playing D&D, right? We had a baby just a little over a year ago, and he is super fun. Uh, He gets a C- in sleeping, but other (laughs) than that, he's really great. So could you maybe... For any of your listeners who are maybe expecting children or maybe anticipating a big life change that might involve some caretaking, what what advice do you have for them or just tell them how having a baby changed your D&D play? So it's been interesting. Just Saturday while we were playing, he was not sleeping. And so for about a quarter of the game, I was holding a squirming toddler in my arm <laughs> while trying to run a game. Actually kind of fun to sit there and try to describe you scrying on a lieutenant of the big bad evil guy who's, you know, in the bottom of this volcano mm-hmm. uh, with a bunch of, you know, arcane books and doing a bunch of spell work while <laughs> holding a child. So... uh a challenge that I had not previously taken, but it was pretty fun. But in all seriousness, when you have a kid, your life changes a lot and you have to be prepared to give up a lot of what you had as free time before to commit to them. But I think as a DM, it's meant that I have to be more flexible as he is a terrible sleeper. It just so happens that while we are playing, he is supposed to be sleeping, and he does that 80 to 90% of the time. But that 10 to 20% where he is not sleeping, we have to find a way around it. So whether it is us casting spells in your stead, Mm -hmm. or pausing the game while you go up and check on him very quickly, uh, we try to be as, as flexible as possible, so... We play in person right now. We're all vaccinated, so that's good news. And, and so it's it's not so bad. We can, around the table, just chat about whatever if we have to pause the game quickly. But I think that it's made me more patient. But also, in another way, it gives me more time to plan stuff while I'm waiting for you, <laughs> me to, you come to come back, back if, yeah. if something's wrong. So it definitely hasn't made our gameplay any worse and none of our players have been frustrated about it it helps that most of them are parents as well or half of them are parents Mm -hmm. but i don't think it's changed the way we play too much and luckily our our players the rest of the the party is very understanding and i think that just goes to like what is widely applicable from this is that your players are flawed humans, Uh right? And approaching your party with as much flexibility as can be supplied while also making sure that the game is safe and enjoyable and fun for everyone. I think that that can help you navigate whatever your players are going through, right? Whether it's parenthood or mental health or changes in employment or whatever it is, right? When we supply flexibility to people and just allow them to be, 
then we can focus on what D&D is really all about, right? Which is having fun, escaping the world for a few hours and enjoying time with friends. Yeah. And now, a word from How Not to DM's sponsors. Spawn of Chaos is a dark fantasy Dungeons & Dragons actual play show featuring professional actors, immersive visual effects and sound design, and an original music score. If you like shows like Critical Role or Dimension 20, you'll definitely want to tune in. Each episode is about 90 minutes long, making it easy to start listening. Become part of the growing community by searching Spawn of Chaos on YouTube or visiting their website at chaosawaits.com. And lastly, Norengard is a brand new D&D 5th edition campaign setting imagined in the Norse-inspired world created by Lou Anders. Is Friday brings the adventure campaign to life in the official playthrough. Check it out before the setting and adventure hits shelves in November. Now, let's return to our show. So I'm going to turn it back on you here, Rachel. What is one of your favorite parts of improvisation from the games it's all improv on your part so i guess Mm -hmm. you get to say whatever you want but what's been one of your favorite memories oh i don't have one specific memory of improv but what i do love is that my wizard is a much more absurd version of me yeah right (laughs) so me myself i'm an academic i work in higher education I love knowing things. I have knowledge that is a mile wide and an inch deep on very many topics. And I play this wizard who is very antisocial, would rather spend her day with books, and doesn't have any patience for nonsense. And I just really love being able to improv and play this wizard who honestly gets to say what I wish I could say <laughs> 50 to 60% of the time, right? Yeah, and I <laughs> I think my favorite... Oh, and my wizard is also very religious, mm. right? And I think one of my favorite things is to go into a pub and turn up my nose at whatever draft or whatever liquor they are serving and instead opt for water or milk. That is a trope that I lean on pretty heavily a lot of the time. You do. Classic, classic Kalen there. What's been your favorite combat? Oh, that's really hard. Sometimes I have a hard time feeling like I'm contributing because... Up until recently, I didn't have oodles of powerful spells, right? We just hit, what, level nine? Mm -hmm. Level nine. And I feel like for a long time, I was stuck at like level five or level four or level five. And so I didn't have a lot of super powerful spells. But I remember I had lightning bolt prepared one day, right? Uh And we were on a beach. And was it a bunch of Sawagan? Is that what? Okay, so there were a bunch of Sawagan on this beach. And poor Derek here had just so conveniently lined up, I would say, what, 75% of the baddies? It was four or five of them at least, yeah. Yeah, in in a perfect line. All I had to do was, you know, move, what, 10 feet? And so I moved my character a little bit, and I think I got this funny gleam in my eye. (laughs) And I looked at Derek and I said, 
I cast lightning bolt in this direction and the entire table just like lit up and cheered because the the battle was over. I lightning bolted all these guys. Mm-hmm. And I think that's honestly one of my favorite memories just because I felt so powerful in a time that, you know, I didn't have very many hit points. I didn't have very many hit sticks. And I just <laughs> like... <Hit sticks. laughs> Is that I... what you call weapons? <laughs> Yes. And yeah, you get a little mischievous smile on your face when you're about to throw a wrench in my plants. I, I usually can tell it's coming. Yes, mm-hmm. but that's that's probably, yeah, one of my favorite things is just I felt powerful after not feeling powerful for a very long time. Mm. Who is your favorite NPC? I think I have two. Uh-huh. One is Ramsey Redcap. One of the reasons I really love Ramsey is that a long time ago... Derek's brother was playing and he was super grumpy toward Ramsey and just always wanted to be annoyed at him or make him feel bad or tease him or whatever it was. And you, Ramsey is a bard, right? And he made the bard play a song that turned Derek's brother into his best friend. And so yeah, I just... used a spell on him. Yes. Yeah, forced him to be my friend. And so I just really love that because it's it's so out of both like the character and the player's wheelhouse to like love this NPC, but they do. And he's great. He's always really helpful. And then I also really love our party has employed a doppelganger and we didn't know what to name him. So we named him Jake (laughs) and we got a good laugh out of that for like 15 minutes. But he's got this, like, really cool, like, cool cat voice, and he's always really sassy, and he appears just when you need him. So those are my two favorite NPCs. Good choices. Good choices. All right, so you've been doing this podcasting thing for a few months now. Yeah, since April. And I feel like podcasting is just such an accessible way to have a platform, to get your voice out there, right? Um <laughs> In a Literally. Way. In a way. <laughs> so what experiences do you feel like you've had both like educationally, professionally, and hobbies that prepared you to run a Dungeon Master interview podcast? And then what tips do you have for people who think they want to start podcasting themselves? Oh boy. All right. Two-pronged question here. Number one, I have since found that there are tons of them out there. But as I was listening to actual play shows, I really wanted to pick the brains of the DMs I was listening to. Mm. And I've gotten to actually, so that's a funny byproduct of running my own show is that I have actually been able to interview a handful of the DMs that I love and love their work, which has been really cool. But yeah, I, I would listen to these actual play shows. I'd listen to their styles, the way they would tell stories, run certain things of combat, you know, run certain NPCs. And I would get lots of ideas of how to implement those ideas in my own games. But also I would notice little subtle things they would do and say. And I would wonder to myself if those were conscious choices, how they decided on those choices, you know, what the reasoning was behind the way they did things. So yeah, I in an effort to really improve my way of running games, I thought what better way than to pick the brains of the very best, mm-hmm. figure out why they do what they do, and take the parts that I love and put it into my own games. So 
that was the idea. In my past, in college, I actually wrote for the university's newspaper for a while, and I really liked that part. I was doing feature writing, so it was just stories about different people in the community, interesting stuff they were doing. Uh, so a lot of interviewing there, interviewing you know at least three different people per story that I was writing. So I loved the interview format. I love thinking of interesting questions to ask people because I feel like correctly and interestingly worded questions lead to the best and most insightful answers. Mm -hmm. So I love formulating good questions. I think I really learned that from there. I also ran a sports blog with a buddy for a while in college. We did interviews of athletes for our school. We also interviewed professional athletes for local sports teams. We even had the opportunity to go to an all-star game with our little dinky sports blog. We applied for press credentials and got them, and we got to go to an all-star game and interview some of the world's best players, mm -hmm. and that was really cool, and again, really solidified in my mind the power of the interview and how sitting down with someone and chatting with them makes a connection that you can't get from any other medium. Mm-hmm. So yeah, interviews fascinate me. I love them. And I really like doing them. Yeah, I, I think those are really what led me to realize, hey, this little hobby of mine, I should start doing some interviews for this too, just because it would be fun. And you know, here I am. It has been a lot of fun and will continue to be a lot of fun. Mm -hmm. Tips for people trying to start their own podcasts. There are a bunch of good pieces of advice that people have given on the show thus far. I'll reiterate a couple of those, and then I'll try to give some of my own. Number one, Benjamin from uh, Lawful Great Adventures said he wishes he would have recorded his first episode as a board game with his players just to get the mics right, to get the audio right, to get everything right before he started recording actual playing in their world, actual lore, backstory, that kind of stuff. Mm. And that would have really helped his audio quality improve. My audio has definitely improved by leaps and bounds after getting a much nicer mic. But my first 10, 15 episodes are not on a great mic. And so it just sounds a little rough. And as a, I'm not a perfectionist, but as a person who really wants to take pride in their work, yeah. sometimes it can be tough for me to listen to older stuff that's not as clean and clear. But there's not a lot I can do about it now. So audio... If you're serious about podcasting, just make sure that it's right from the get-go. Second piece of advice, make sure that you have the time and energy to put into it. Mm -hmm. I don't think I realized how much time and energy it was going to be. I kind of stumbled into the idea of doing a podcast anyway. I was just trying to put together a blog, ended up recording one of the interviews for the blog, and then decided to post it. And, you know, I just started doing podcasts from there, started doing the show. But it takes many hours a week to record mm -hmm. your interview, to reach out to the people, to set up the schedule with them, to, you know, get all of that interview stuff out of the way. And then it takes many more hours to actually edit the show, especially the way I like to do it. I just like a certain level of quality. And so I, I try to edit them and make them clean and clear and, and to the point. So it just takes a lot of time to put out a really good show that you're going to be proud of. So just be aware of that, too. I think that those are probably my two big pieces of advice, audio quality, and be prepared for the time commitment that it takes. Uh, one third thing I'll say is 
don't worry too much about the numbers. As an analyst, I love numbers. I love looking at the numbers. I love trying to find ways to improve the numbers. Dashboarding the numbers. Yes, I have a dashboard. I have spreadsheets. I check things maniacally. That's just part of who I am. Mm -hmm. But don't get too caught up in them. You're going to see podcasts who have way more followers than you on social media platforms. You're going to see shows that have way less. But that doesn't necessarily mean their shows are better or worse than yours. Also, I try not to feel like I'm competing against other shows of a similar nature. I actually have made a lot of good friends with people out there who do interview shows, who are interviewing people very similar to the way I do. They're some of the most interesting people to talk to because they have the same problems I do. They have the same things they go through. And they oftentimes have a lot of good advice for me and vice versa on how we do things. So yeah, I try not to pit myself against other shows like that because I feel like I'm just doing this for me and for the listeners, but you know, I'm not trying to replace or outdo somebody else. It's really about, you know, the act of creating it that I'm here for. So yeah. And I think that's something that we've both worked on together, right? Is appreciating the podcast for what it is, right? It's this great product that you put a lot of time and heart into And yes, the numbers are cool, but ultimately at the end of the day, it comes back to the product and what it is. And it's something you can be proud of. And it's something I think you should be proud of. Thank you. Okay. So what are your parting words of wisdom and encouragement to new and aspiring DMs? For anybody out there who has run games or is thinking about running games, Again, tons of great advice on other episodes, so I'll try not to repeat stuff that other people have said, but it just so happens that I've heard it a lot, and I know that it's good, so if I do, please forgive me. The most important thing you need to remember when you're running games is, number one, it's a game. Number two, Mm -hmm. you're also a player. So everyone's there to have fun. If they're not, it depends on the type of game you're running, I guess, but I would just really try to find people who want to play the same way as you do, and then you all have the same expectations. But Yeah, it's a game. You're going to get rules wrong. You're going to screw up. You're going to do the wrong voice. You're going to forget an NPC's name. You're going to forget a continent's name. You're going to change the gender of someone a few months down the road because you forgot about it. You're going to do a lot of things like this. And it happens and it's okay. You're not expected to be perfect. And if anyone does expect you to be perfect, then you need to reset their expectations. So Don't be afraid of mistakes. Mistakes are how you learn. And that's, I mean, that's kind of like the the point of the show, right? Is I wanted to really get into the nitty gritty about how people run games and all the cool things they do. But also I want to figure out what mistakes all these great DMs are making Mm -hmm. that you and I make too. So you are not so different from them and you can do just as good a job as anybody out there in telling your story and making your players laugh and cheer and have an awesome time. DM as the player too, what I mean by that, and again, people have said this before, but remember that you're there to have fun also. If you're not having fun, then you should take some time and think about what is causing you the stress. Is it that you don't have enough time to prep? Is it that your games are too frequent? Is it that your players make decisions that stress you out and, you know, they they may not follow your plot hooks as well as you want them to? Is it something totally different that I haven't thought of? 
I think if you identify the things that are stressing you out and really talk with your party about it, you're going to find that they will be more than happy to help you out and accommodate. So if it's playing less frequently, or if it's they'll give you a, a less of a hard time and maybe follow some of your, your story hooks a little bit closer, or they will maybe confront you about rules less or, you know, whatever it is that, that tends to trigger your stress or anxiety. I firmly believe that it is about you having fun too. And if you're not having fun, then you've got to change something about it. So try to figure out what's causing those problems and address them and get back to enjoying yourself. Otherwise, you're going to get burnt out and you're not going to want to do it anymore. And that's really sad. Agreed. And I think too, earlier we talked a little bit about flexibility and giving grace, honestly, to the people Uh at your table. And I think what you said goes right back to that. The people around your table are human and everyone should have a good experience. Not, it's not just, you know, you dad creating a great experience for the players, the kids, right? Like you're all equals, Uh you're all players. And by asking for that grace or that support from your table, you can really have a better experience as a DM. For sure. For sure. Yeah. So focus on having fun, focus on your players having fun. And if you're stressed out, figure out why and and fix it. So could you share with your listeners some things you're currently working on, your recent guest appearances, and what's upcoming for the How Not to DM podcast? Yeah, I've had three guest appearances recently, which have been a ton of fun. First one was with Raw and Order D&D. That's a podcast all about the rules of the game and how you might interpret them. And that was with Joe and Anna. They're two real-life lawyers, and so they decided to make a show where they talk about the rules of D&D and how you might rule them at your own table. So that was a ton of fun. We talked about the rules of magic. The second one was with my friends at Two Weeks, One Shot. They do a one-shot podcast split into three to four episodes, usually a piece, each in a different new system. And we played a Savage Worlds game kind of leading up to Halloween about Mischief Night the night before Halloween and about evil taking over campus and how we were going to stop it. A ton of fun. Those guys are amazing and really good improvers, and I was laughing the whole time. So go check that one out. And then my third appearance was with my friend Fiona, from the What Am I Rolling podcast and the DMs Book Club. I got asked to be on the DMs Book Club with her, and we chatted about our favorite horror monsters. Again, sticking with the Halloween theme, but we each picked six monsters that were really spooky and scary and talked about how we might use them in encounters with our own players. So a really good listen there, too. So if you are interested, go ahead and go check those out. I'll put links to each of those in my episode notes if you are interested. You may have noticed in the show notes that this is the season one finale. This is my last episode I'm doing for 2021. I'll be starting back up early 2022 to bring you some more awesome interviews. But I just decided it was time to take a quick break and spend the holidays with my family and loved ones and not have to worry about scheduling and about editing and that kind of thing. So I'll still be on social medias. I still have some other guest appearances potentially planned. So be on the lookout for me to promote those and I'll still be active on social media. I'll also be in my discord server. So if you have any questions or you just want to say hi, make sure to find me there. I want to thank each of you for listening to the show, for your support, for sharing it with your friends, with your family, for leaving me reviews and in general for just being awesome people and friends. 
So thanks so much for supporting me and for enjoying what I've been putting together thus far. It's been a lot of fun. I've learned so much. I've talked to some amazing people. I've met some amazing people from the TTRPG community. And so it really has been an amazing year for me personally and for this show that I created. I hope each of you know, though, that this show would be nothing without you, the listeners, making it what it is today. So thank you from the bottom of my heart. Really appreciate it. And I am really excited to see what next year and season two brings. So stay tuned. And with that, goodbye, all you beautiful people. Thank you for letting me be your guest host. Thanks for listening to How Not to DM. The intro and outro music is by my good friend Torin, aka Mr. Tape. Make sure to go check out his stuff on Apple Music or Spotify. The ad music is part of the free library of TTRPG music from Arcane Anthems. And, as always, until next season, roll some Nat 20s for me. So, dear. Uh huh. How many D&D books yeah. have you purchased that you have actually read? <laughs> I, I bleed the fifth. <laughs> <laughs>